You are listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on sight. The following podcast may contain language and discussions of a frank and adult nature, and spoilers regarding the films discussed are always to be expected. Thank you for joining us. Now start the show, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight! Episode 126 of They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. I'm your host, Lee. You have learned much. You can do nothing, Russell. I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel. All my life, I've studied the black arts, Harper. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing quite well, and I have indeed studied the black arts all my life. And you can take that however you like. (laughs) And uh, we are also joined by Paul, one of my race, crossed the Danube and destroyed the Turkish host, Ramali. How are you doing, sir? Pillaging as ever. Good, sir. How are you guys doing? Good, good. Now, as per usual, Paul has not watched the movie in a long, long time. And although he tried this time, he actually thought we were doing Captain Kronos, apparently. That's later in the summer. So he watched that one. (laughs) So... (laughs) It's a beautiful thing. Uh, I love it. But uh, yeah, we are actually going to be doing Jess Franco's Count Dracula from 1970 this time out. And uh, before we get into that, though, uh, we can talk about what we've watched in the last little while. And uh, I'll throw it over to Daniel. Sure. Uh, Just very quickly, I uh, did get to see the new Ocean's 8 film. Sort of the side quill of uh, the Oceans 11, 12, and 13. Uh, we're now back to 8. Presumably there will be a 9 and a 10, and then I don't know what will happen after they've done three trilogies. They'll have to just start picking new numbers. I don't know. But this is uh, the uh, Sandra Bullock, uh, Kate Blanchett, uh, Rihanna, Anne Hathaway uh, kind of Oceans 11 heist movie. And it is a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I have not seen any... I've only seen Ocean's Eleven. I never saw 12 or 13. And this one, Sandra Bullock is supposed to be George Clooney's sister. And so that's sort of the the, the gimmick that we kind of start off with. And, you know, so presumably uh, George Clooney has died in this universe. Although they definitely kind of play up the, like, I hope you're actually dead, you motherfucker, and not, like, faking it sort of uh, thing. Okay. As a uh, heist movie, it works pretty well. It kind of does the job that it's meant to do. It doesn't really have very high stakes. It's really kind of more of just kind of a romp through the thing. I know a lot of people are saying that the, uh, you know, that it's just kind of not very, uh, it kind of just goes through the motions on its, on its plot a little bit, and that it does. But I think it's effective nonetheless, mostly because it's just fun to watch these actresses play around with each other. You know, it's a, it's a fun little kind of goofy uh, summer movie, and uh, I quite enjoyed it. And uh, Gary Ross, you know, has come a long way from like Big and Pleasantville, and you know, The Hunger Games, and now he's doing the uh, the new Oceans movie. So, you know, <laughs> uh, it is well directed. It's stylish. It is uh, it is a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. I, I await the porn version where they actually do play around with each other. That'll be good. That would also uh, I would I would definitely see that as well. Yeah. 
<laughs> okay, over to you, Paul. And I know you watch Venus and Furs, so uh, if and if you've watched anything else, of course, talk about that. But uh, give us give us a little uh, bit on your thoughts on Venus and Furs, anyway. Sure, Venus and Furs. It was a probably even though it kind of gets muddled here and there, like the plot kind of gets we have to follow it along a little bit, you know, concisely, but it's probably one of the most laid out and easy to follow Franco films. I mean, cause I've had some Franco films that are, you're just like, what the hell is going on the whole time? <laughs> it, it, it's like basically even more so than house by the cemetery, that kind of thing. Like it plot. What? <laughs> cause like mm-hmm. I, I did a little run where I was watching a lot of Rollins films and Franco's and the ones they kind of collabed and you're like, I don't understand any of this. <laughs> someone gets their bush shaved at some point in time and then it's over i don't know what happened but this one at least has a little bit more of a concise idea now when she's when you see her later and she's got the red wig on and stuff or the brunette wig you know it's kind of you know people have to pay attention because they're like okay what the hell's going on now is that her i don't know but uh overall it's actually a pretty good film it's like kind of basically the embodiment, like she's like the embodiment of guilt in a way. It's like a ghost story within a ghost story kind of. But at the same time, if you have this kind of she's like an embodiment of almost like you're watching guilt happen, like the mental aspect of guilt. Guilt drives these people to suicide. And you have this her showing up in this weird ghostly manner, kind of driving them to do it. But it's just like this really, really odd embodiment of guilt because the four main characters were there and either did it or could have stopped it. Mm-hmm. And and from then on, the, the realization of what they've done or, you know, what could have, they could have stopped or what he could have stopped. And he ended up killing them all by guilt. It's really weird. It's a very interesting film. The end of it, again, gives you that kind of ghost story within a ghost story, you know, with Sher disappearing and him running after the whole deal and, and uh, him washing up on the beach at the end. I was actually, because of watching the film, I was half expecting him, I was kind of expecting him to be dead the whole time, kind of. Mm-hmm. The time, I'm watching the film, I'm like, I wonder if Rita's going to go up and it would be interesting if I saw Rita up on the beach at the end instead, you know? That'd be even a weirder ending. <laughs> yeah, that would have been a weirder ending. I was like, whoa, now you're trapped in this cycle of everybody that you fall in love with fucking ends up dying at the end. But it's a very interesting film. It doesn't always, like I said, it doesn't always, you know, move along as well as it should. And and I think Daniel said that, too. It, it doesn't perfectly grasp everything that's going on during the film and, sh- and showcase it as well as it could. But you still, if you pay attention, you can still get the nuances of everything. And I think it's actually pretty well done. It's a good film. Uh, there could have been way, way more hardcore nudity. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Always, but... Yeah. Yeah. Way um... more lesbian photographer, too. Mm-hmm. 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 And I swear I saw Franco playing a trombone yep. and a fucking piano. Yep. I think he did just about like every instrument at, at some point because there were so many jazz scenes. Yeah. And every time I saw him, he was playing something different. So it's like mm-hmm. he was almost showing off. It's like, yeah, I can play all this shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> you, well, at least you, you're going to voice it over. You know me as a filmmaker and an actor above all else. But I, I'm a man of many talents. I'm a man of I can man. blow my own horn. That's... <laughs> I hate to blow my own horn, but watch me play this trombone. Yeah. You know? So that's pretty good. I actually watched Exorcism by Franco recently too, and that okay. was actually a pretty interesting film. I did. Uh, we'll talk about it later in the in the summer, but I did uh, manage to sit down and watch Mansion of the Living Dead okay. and Deadly Weapons. Oh yeah, yeah. Um... yeah. Chesty Morgan. 
Jesse Morgan, yeah. Yeah, so I got a chance to watch that too. Uh, I've had some uh, nice little um, delving into some trash films lately that I've been having a good time. And actually, I have all these films. I bought all of them. So, so, you, so you watched Franco films, but not the one we're supposed to be talking exactly. about. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So presumably next week you'll talk about your experience of rewatching Count Dracula. Is that the is that the plan? I will talk to you a little bit about Dracula tonight. I mean, okay. we have, I mean, I for as far as this actually brings a point that I was thinking of before. Trying to think who the other person would be that I, I had in my head there. It was either uh, Lino Romay or Klaus Kinski. And I was like, God, if we keep on talking about this, I think he's going to be like the star of the most movies we've talked about on this channel. He, how many films he's been in. Kinski could... I think we've done... A, how many we've films done, have we done? We, we we've did, done The uh, Great Silence. We've done The Great Silence. Nosferatu. Nosferatu. Yep. We did Venus, Venus and Furs. Yeah, now this one. Oh, Aguirre. You guys did Aguirre, Aguirre. yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he's he's he might be neck and neck with Anne Margaret at this point. Yeah, yeah Anne Margaret is uh, I think four or five now. So yeah. yeah, he's 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 pulling up the fucking train pretty good. So we just got to find an Anne Margaret Klaus Kinski, you know, yeah. starring vehicle. Yeah. That's like the pinnacle you must reach. You know, and, and, the, and the weird thing is, I, I would be, I'd actually be shocked if there wasn't one somewhere. In, in which Klaus Kinski goes slowly mad, decaying flesh, and then Anne Margaret dances around him entertainingly. That's yeah. The, yeah. Uh, that's the film I want to see now. Because mm-hmm. Kinski just made so many fucking films that he basically was in a film of just about every fucking actor in the 20th century at some point. Right. He did so much shit, but um, I was I was going to mention, yeah, Mansion of the Living Dead, which is something we're going to be doing later. Um, after we do the Blind Dead series, is sort of like Franco's Blind Dead ripoff kind of thing. Potentially on that, we're going to have Court Psyops from Cinema Psyops as a special guest, and he's as big of a pervert as you and Daniel are. So I'm, I'm just I'm really interested in what the conversation is going to be like. All three of you are fucking kinksters, so uh, yeah, <laughs> it'll, it'll be interesting. It was good. I uh, I don't I don't know what you're talking about, Lee. I am a uh, perfectly vanilla individual with no uh, interests at all in such tawdry tawdry concepts. Uh, there, was, there was one line in the in that particular film where I was like, "All right, okay, time for one-handed pull-ups." <laughs> definitely you know, like that's pretty hot. That's hot as shit. Uh, but the film that film is actually. I mean, some people might dis- disagree, but it's actually pretty good, even though it's a really bad remake i like kind of take off of the blind dead it's actually not a bad film it's probably better than porno holocaust at the very yeah end. <laughs> yeah and actually lino ramey like actually pretty good in that film she has her moments once in a while yeah yeah no, once in a while she's very like she's a three-face yeah, not she's just a two-face she's a, like a three or four face she's she's no uh solidad miranda but uh... yeah but in the episode tonight there is Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and uh, although I uh, strategically edited it out, uh, we were we were under the uh, assumption that she was already dead at this point when we were talking about her in the last episode. And, yeah, Dracula without Soledad Miranda. And... No, she's totally in that, by the way. Yeah. Uh, oh, she, you, you thought she I, wasn't in that? I, I forgot that she made like eighteen films of Franco in like one year, and then they she all. She made. She. I, I looked. I relooked at her Wikipedia page after watching this film this afternoon, and. Uh, Soledad Miranda did six films with Franco just in the year 1970. Yeah, and they sort this, of filtered out. This wasn't even the last one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> she died in like August of 1970. So, you know, you got to think in eight months of 1970, she made six films with the man. And uh, 
that that tells you, you know, it it actually makes me admire the film more when you yeah. think about now, the, the this, level of this uh, one was released in seventy four, right? Which uh, Dracula? Dracula? No, that was seventy. It, it was released it was in the year it was made. Vampiros, Lesbos, and She Killed in Ecstasy. They were all released in, in years later, within like two or three years later. He sort of like wrapped the films up and finished them over the over the next couple of years. So, but this one was a nineteen seventy release. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, per Wikipedia, released in Germany on April third, nineteen seventy. Yeah, this. And, is, uh, I'm thinking uh, Captain Cronus is probably seventy four. Yeah, it's a later Hammer film. That one is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'll talk about Captain Cronus through the whole film. Whole <laughs> All right. Yeah. Remember the epic uh, sword fight scene? Wrong film, asshole. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I will talk about uh, one thing that you guys mentioned that I was uh, thought was fun. After Daniel was talking about his uh, Incredibles 2 moment, I watched <laughs> the, the trailer for Incredibles 2, and Mr. Incredibles was found out that the baby had superpowers. I'm like, you found that out in the first one. So apparently, literally, everything gets redone in this film. No, it like does. It, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's completely... Technically, like, they don't learn, I guess, that the baby has powers at the end of... Because the baby just, like, transforms, and the only one that sees is Syndrome. Then he gets, like, sucked into the... the sky, yeah. Yeah, so, so hypothetically, I guess they're just trying to defend it by, like, oh, yeah, like, no, nobody actually saw what happened there. It's just, you, you know, but... giant red, like, demon thing strangling a guy? Like, uh, uh, apparently not. Uh, nobody, nobody has supervision in the in these films, no. so, you know. Hindsight was not what they had. No one wants no. to believe that their child is a monster. That's, no, that's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. There is a uh, quite a movement for that nice pog of this is incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's, uh, uh, that's what that's what solidified me as a fan of that film was her her nice posterior. And that's yeah, enough, really. I have retweeted that. On you 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 will get to you will get to see a bit of that in uh, the second film if you. I see know. It. I'm very happy about that. And uh, yes. there's 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 a bit of a, there's a bit of a lesbian subtext, a bit of a bisexual oh, nice. subtext, you know. Yeah, and I I definitely want one day. I just was on the internet and I'm like, well, let, well, let me type in Mrs. Incredible's booty, and then all this amazing fan art came up, and I'm like, I'm in heaven. Did you actually write Mrs. Incredible's booty in Google search? Is that oh, is that I was? Think I did. Yeah, it was Mrs. Yeah. Incredible. Did you did you, did you type it with MRS period Incredible booty? Like, I want to know yeah. exactly what you typed in. <laughs> yeah. Incredible booty porn or like, you know, fan yeah. clip or something like that. And it came up and then I was like, oh, there you go. And then it didn't turn into like Helen Parr twerking, like all this kind of crap. Oh. Just random different amazing things happening. Well, thank you, Tumblr. Bob, is a big fan of the booty in herself. Yeah. I think that feels a little bit more deviant art than Tumblr. I, I was about to, I was yeah, about to say. Uh, I, I was going to finish. I was going to finish my, uh, my my thought here. Is like, I don't believe I'm saying this. Thank you, Tumblr, and probably more so, thank you, deviant art, because that's yeah, exactly where that shit would come from. But uh, yeah, Twitter's full of stuff. <laughs> Twitter's just full of smut. It's so dirty. Yeah. Yeah. If, if it wasn't for Incredibles and MLP uh, uh, clopping and stuff, I would have no use for Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um anything else you watched um there was a couple other things but i can't really get them around my head right now i know uh fresh Dra- just franco's dracula wasn't one of them though yeah <laughs> yeah we, we've established that, yeah, uh, established at this that point. So. 
<laughs> for me, I'll just mention one thing I watched just popped on Netflix, at least Canadian Netflix anyway. Desolation uh, just came out in the last two years. I think it was 2017 or 2018. It's sort of like a really boiled down slasher in the woods film. It, it's more on the side of like uh, Deliverance or something along those lines, although, you know, not quite. It, it's it's more of a like a it just involves like a very small group of people and it's just one killer stalking these small group of people it's not like a full-blown slasher film or anything like that with multiple victims um it's it's just about this young mother who uh recently just lost her husband so she takes her kid and her best friend into the woods to scatter his ashes in one of their favorite places and as they're hiking through the woods this weirdo in a um kind of looks like rob zombie from the 1990s like <laughs> in a in like a wind windbreaker with a hood and wearing sunglasses and he he sort of just stalks them to the woods he keeps showing up behind them like from several yards back eventually some nasty things happen it was done pretty well it, it's a good little sort of character piece the main actors are kind of engaging it's nothing special but it was a good little thriller while it lasted and and, and it doesn't run too long like it's only about an hour and a half or so like that and does a really good job of just making you wonder what this guy's all about and He's just kind of really threatening without you happen to go into his backstory or anything like that. Like you never really find out what he's about or who he is or anything like that. He just he's just a killer, and uh, it's pretty good. I liked it. So uh, if you, if you're looking for something a little bit low key horror wise on Netflix uh, that you haven't checked out, that's sort of newish. Desolation's pretty good. It doesn't go super gory or anything like that. Like it picks its money shots pretty well. Got a couple little really disturbing shots, and other than that, it, it doesn't go into excess or anything like that. You know, so I quite liked it. We will take a quick break. We'll play a promo for a podcast that I love, and we'll play a little bit of music, and we'll come back for Count Dracula from 1970. You go through your week with the same old routine. What you really want is some blood and thunder in your life. Well, friend, you found it. The Chromecast is an adventurous journey through the history of two-fisted pulp stories with your hosts, John, Josh, and Luke. We have action, horror, and adventure, all through the lens of pulp luminary Robert E. Howard. Don't just stay in your ordinary life. Find your pulp life at thecromcast.blogspot.com. The Chromecast. The Chromecast. The Chromecast. A podcast for the barbarian at heart. Mmm, great coffee. Mmm. Hey. Chad, who's that strange, somber man on the cover of that book you're reading? Oh, that's H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, I've heard of him, but I never really got into his stuff. It's kind of strange and hard to read. No, I used to think that, too. But that all changed when I started listening to the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. What's that? The H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast is a weekly podcast. Tell me more. These two really smart and hilarious guys give a synopsis of the story, then they talk about its background, the critical views, and what it says about the author. Well, where can I listen? Let me tell you, Chris, you can go to hppodcraft.com or, heck, just subscribe through iTunes. It's that easy. Oh, Chad, I'm so excited. Now I can listen to this podcast and pretend to all my snooty friends that I actually read and understand H.P. Lovecraft. Hey, that's what I do. <laughs> oh, dear. HPPodcraft.com <laughs> Ah! 
All right. Count Dracula from 1970. Wissen Sie auch, wohin Sie gehen? Geschöpfe der Nacht bewachen sein Schloss. Willkommen in meinem Hause. Graf Dracula? Ich bin Dracula. Stecken Sie das ein. Gegen ein Kruzifix ist Dracula machtlos. Wer ihm verfällt, wird süchtig nach dem Blut lebender Wesen. Den Kampf beherzter Männer gegen ein unheimliches Monstrum schildert ein neuer, faszinierender Film. Zur Van Helsing Klinik. Beruhigen Sie sich doch. Dracula jagt nachts und verschwindet mit dem Morgengrauen. In einem Sarg reist er durch die ganze Welt. Das Grauen geht um. Was haben Sie hier zu suchen? Ich muss Sie warnen. Ich habe ein paar Patienten hier, die wir isoliert unterbringen müssen. Sie dürfen auf gar keinen Fall in die oberen Stockwerke gehen. Ein Gruselcocktail besonderer Art. Seine Küsse reichen für uns alle. Aber gibt es denn gar nichts, was ich für Sie tun könnte? Doch, Sie könnten Ihr Blut für eine Transfusion spenden. Wir Dracula sind schon von jeher das Herz, das Blut, der Verstand und das Schwert unseres eigenen Volkes gewesen. Dracula? <lacht> Internationale Spitzenstars in einem Horrorfilm nach Maß. Nachts, wenn Dracula erwacht, ist niemand mehr seines Lebens sicher. Die Gier nach dem Blut junger Frauen lässt ihn nie zur Ruhe kommen. Vampire haben Hochsaison. Hüten Sie sich. Seine Küsse sind heiß und verzehren das Blut. Die Menschen aber, von denen er lebt, Siechen dahin und sterben. Und dann werden sie selbst zu Vampiren. Zurück! Zurück! Dieser Mann gehört mir. Aber es ist noch immer keine Erklärung. Wer dem Geheimnis zu nahe kommt, setzt sein Leben aufs Spiel. Töte! Das ist die Nacht der Entscheidung. Eine Nacht des Grauens auf dem Schloss des Grafen Dracula. Wer ist stärker? Ein herrlicher Gruselschocker erwartet sie. Nachts, wenn Dracula erwacht. Wir wünschen Ihnen eine angenehme Gänsehaut. Directed by Jess Franco. Written by Eric Kronke, Augusto Finocci. Uh, Jess Franco, Bram Stoker gets a little bit of nod here. <laughs> and uh, the producer of this film, Harry Allen Towers, who actually uh, was sort of the money man producer for Franco in this period for a handful of his films. It is starring Christopher Lee as Count Dracula, Herbert Lom as Professor Abraham Van Helsing, Klaus Kinski as R.M. Renfield. Fred Williams, not that Fred Williams from Black Exploitation. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, as Jonathan Harker, uh, Maria Rahm returning here from our previous episode as Mina Murray, 
Soledad Miranda in her first collaboration with Jess Franco as Lucy Westerner, Paul Mueller as Dr. John Jack Seward, and uh, he's been in a couple of other Franco films that we've covered as well. Uh, Jack Taylor as Quincy Morris. Jack Taylor is going to show up again when we do the Blind Dead films, by the way. <laughs> and uh, although uh, that's quite the film. And I'm assuming Jesus Puente as the Minister of Interior. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, actually, I'll go to Paul. We'll put him on the spot since he hasn't watched the movie in quite a while. When was the first time you watched this, sir? I probably watched the first time I watched it. It's probably in the early 90s. It wasn't on a official VHS. It was on it, but I copied VHS from my friend's house. He had a he had a, a couple. It was a Chronos. He had that one on there, and he also had the this Dracula film, and he had the Jack Palance Dracula film on it. Too. Oh, the yeah. oh, high class fucking stuff. And I remember the the film being very good. I mean, it was basically as you would kind of say, like Hammer at the end of Hammer days quality. Mm-hmm. Except it was a little bit more. What I remember, a little bit more of a muddier film. It was like darker than it probably should have been, and uh, there was a lot of different like hues of green and red. Like kind of, you could see like the stage lighting kind of in the background, like the nuances and stuff. It wasn't as bad as like the um, Frankenstein versus Dracula film. Oh, <laughs> you know, it wasn't that kind of crazy bad or anything like that. But it was a little bit more rough around the edges. But again, Soledad Miranda, hot as hell. Mm-hmm. And of course, Klaus Kinski did a great job as being that crazy guy because for some reason he does that well. <laughs> and um, I can't remember, you told me that you just said the name, but I, I would always remember the guy who played the, the Van Helsing character doing a yeah, really good job. Herbert Lom. Yeah, yeah. The, the one that I'm pretty sure it was uh, really badly dubbed from German is what I remember. It okay. was a German film, but it was like really, I don't know. It was it was kind of comically sounding like the overdub that I saw. I don't know mm-hmm. what, if, about the new one because you just told me there was a Blu-ray release, but it was dubbed from German to what I saw. Pretty sure the original print is in German. Yeah, it's a it's a German Spanish Italian co-production, I believe it is. There you go. And and yeah, and and there's definitely some dubbing here and there. Although less than I was expecting for a Franco film, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, Daniel, you mentioned this. What? version did you watch of this what did it look like to you sure um well i just want to mention just because uh, we did talk about herbert Lom just a second ago i uh, just while i've got it uh, i just uh, looked him up on uh, wikipedia because i knew i recognized him from, from somewhere and he was in a uh, night in the city which we covered on this podcast mm-hmm. he was the son of the uh, uh the wrestler the great wrestler in night in the city uh, anyway just throwing that in before I forgot to mention it later. Also, also famous for the Pink Panther films, yep. and he also had a really crucial part in the adaptation of The Dead Zone in the 1980s, which is also a great film. Yeah, no, so I uh, you know, saw this was on Amazon, so I just sort of didn't worry about it until this afternoon because uh, I had a busy week, and I was just, oh, yeah, I've got time today. I'll just you know sit down and watch it. So there are two versions of this on Amazon. If you have the Shutter subscription, you can uh, watch what appears to be a really shitty version. Um, or you can uh, pay for a, a, there's like another, like you, there's another title of it. And you can click on that one. And that one's just like a straight rental or purchase. I paid $4 to rent it in HD and it looked really phenomenal. So I just want to mention that to people that apparently I would guess that the uh, shuttered version is from like some old, you know, some old DVD rip or something. If you're telling me there's a Blu-ray, it's it, the version I watched because I did watch the good version. 
um, with uh, you know quality subtitles and everything. And uh, this one did. Uh, it looked a lot like a Blu-ray release. Did so, you uh, notice if there was a time difference between the two versions? Or uh... I can look it up right now for you. Yeah, because there there are two slightly different versions of this. There's one that knocks about I don't know a minute of footage out of it. The version that I saw did have the scene with the uh, woman crying about her lost right. baby. Okay, if yeah. So you you the... watch you watch the same version I did. Yeah. Yeah. Let me let me check the two different versions here while you uh, continue to talk. Yeah, it's like a hour thirty seven instead of an hour thirty six <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it's hour thirty seven versus. Hour, yeah, thirty-seven versus thirty-six. Apparently, the Blu-ray is an hour thirty-eight. Uh, yeah. So there might even be a slightly longer version. I don't know. Maybe an extra like intro credit sequence or something. You know. Mm. But. Yeah. Uh, the version I watched is the Blu-ray version, but I got the rip from uh, Rare Lust. And usually, I would recommend Rare Lust, but I'd just say honestly, just find a copy and buy it because <laughs> Rare Lust gave me the version with subtitles burnt on it. And I don't know whether it's just the version itself or it was just a, like a, a hiccup through the actual downloading because, you know, it'll take a while because you're downloading a couple gig to get it down your computer. The subtitles were about 30 seconds behind everyone talking and you couldn't <laughs> take them off the screen. So it became really fucking distracting for me. <laughs> my, my, my eyes kept trying to go down and read the subtitles. It's like, they're not saying that at all. Oh, wait, they just said it. Okay, there you, there you go. Yeah, so uh, Daniel, what 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 are your sort of uh, initial thoughts on this one, though? I sorry, I was just checking. I uh, found a torrent version of it. The torrent version looks to be hour thirty seven and mm-hmm. looks to be uh, good quality. So yeah, uh, but I didn't end up watching that one because it was weird. Anyway, yeah, I actually like this quite a bit. Uh, at least the first the first half I liked quite a bit. I really like uh, Christopher Lee in this. I think he's he's doing the Christopher Lee thing of being amazing <laughs> all the yeah. time. Uh, he's a really great Dracula. I love how uh, the film kind of opens and you don't quite know what you're getting into at first, even though, you know, it follows the plot of the novel very, very closely. I like the kind of low budget quality of it. And yet they, they do kind of like spring for, um, there's enough production value that you don't feel like this is literally shot in somebody's backyard. Yeah. I mean, it feels, it feels inexpensive, but it rarely feels cheap. If you kind of get the, the, the point of what right. I'm making. I like the, there's a, there's a kind of, I don't know. I've seen enough Franco films now. We've uh, had enough uh, kind of recurring cast members. There is a little bit of like, this feels like the Simpsons episodes where they do like, you know, oh, the Simpsons does Dracula, you know, where, you know, <laughs> you know, you know and Homer is Dracula and Marge is, you know, and the, it kind of feels like that to me now. It's like, oh, it's all these people I know from Franco films. And now they're just kind of, they're putting on a play. They're doing Dracula for me. So, uh, you know, there's something, there's something kind of delightful about that just for me at this point. Um, and, and I kind of got a, a nice sense of frisson just from watching the film that way. I do think that at a certain point, I wish the film had done something. Uh, it, it starts to wear on me a little bit. I think once the, the sort of the novelty and once Christopher Lee isn't in it as much, um, I was really looking forward to Soledad Miranda. Unfortunately, she doesn't have much to do here. No. Um, and I think the one thing that I kind of run into watching it is that, you know, as, as someone who's kind of become a fan of Jess Franco, uh, this doesn't feel very much like a Franco film. 
um, you know, I kept waiting for the like, where's the lesbian scene? You know, like, the, <laughs> you know, and uh, they do a much more straight adaptation than that. So, I mean, you know, you get like little hints of Franco's, you know, kind of sense of humor and Franco's, uh, you know, proclivities here and there. But I mean, it's it's really subdued, and I think that that's. I mean, you can kind of treat that as either kind of a, a positive or negative. Really, you know, it's like, well, right. it's proof that Franco wasn't just kind of, you know, beholden to his, you know, obsessions that he could just kind of do something that just kind of looks like a, a hammer horror film in a lot of ways. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't feel, um, it doesn't feel unique to, to Franco. And I think that that's, you know, if you're not a fan of Franco and you're listening to this, then this might be the one for you. Right. You know, but uh, no, I like the film overall. I don't know that I'm going to revisit it all that often. It was entertaining, but it was also kind of a, I don't know. I, I kind of uh, oh Kinski is really good. I liked Kinski in it a, a lot. I mean he's always good. I mean you know it's you, you do kind of you know what was good in it. Well all the brilliant actors that, <laughs> that you know are good in it. It's, it's neat that you don't get the uh, dubbing problems you usually get with most Kinski appearances where it's almost every film he did he was dubbed by somebody else. Here he doesn't say shit, so it's like he's yeah. never dubbed. <laughs> I like him. Uh, he he's able to kind of do the uh, the the madman. He's got the Renfield look down. He's uh, probably one of the better Renfields I've seen in a in a film. And I, yeah, I kind of bought that. I don't know. Like uh, it just kind of. I don't know. For me, it was again like I wish. Even though it's only an hour thirty seven, I wish it had been just a, maybe a little bit shorter, like an hour twenty. I think I would have been a little bit more on board with it. And mostly just because it kind of you know you kind of know where it's going, so it's kind of difficult to to you know to really get a sense of tension or a sense of you know kind of narrative cohesion here it's just kind of like oh they're going to do the dracula story and you know really the the real key to the dracula story is the beginning it's all the setup it's all the stuff that kind of leads to it's harker kind of visiting the castle and then you know who is this guy and you know you know that's the real thing that you know i think people take away from the dracula myth and the that kind of narrative i mean and then it just kind of becomes a you know and now he's going around killing people <laughs> you know yeah. I did like uh, Sylvia Miranda's uh, pale face makeup when she's dead. You know, that was entertaining to see, although I wish, she, again, I wish she was in the film more. And it's interesting because I know her from uh, the other films that we've done of him, uh, uh, from her. I know her a lot better as this kind of like earthier, more sensuous character. And uh, her being kind of like really just a sideline character who's really, I mean, she has barely any lines in the film even. And, and kind of being a little bit more, you know, just, uh, oh, she's the pretty girl that they you know, kind of make up like a, like a vampire at a certain point. It does feel like she's, she's a little bit wasted here, but um, yeah, overall pretty good. Yeah. Uh, first time I watched this uh, much like Paul, it was a VHS copy. Uh, I rented this uh, back in the day and um, I was under the impression, like when I first rented it and a few years later, when I became a bit more savvy about what sort of versions of stuff you'd get in rental copies and stuff, I, I assumed there must be like 140 minute of this somewhere, or there's just an alternate version. And this is almost like the TV edit where all the nudity and stuff is taken out because I was like, there, there must be more blood and nudity in this film. Like, right. Like there must be. And after watching the Blu-ray one, it, wow, this is probably one of Franco's most sort of accessible films, just like Venus and furs. You, you could follow this really well and get into it. But this is probably one of the most un-Franco Franco films he's ever made because he sticks to Dracula really close. This is the first film that actually brings on the uh, Dr. Uh, Seward character and the Quincy Morris character, although the Quincy Morris here is just the Lord Alfred whatever character just with a name change. But 
And he kind of reverses roles between Mina and Lucy because Lucy in the actual novel is the assertive, uh, more sexualized girl. Like, especially if you watch the Francis Ford Coppola version, you, you really get like a really pretty authentic sort of adaptation of the novel there in, in, the, in those cases as far as the characters go. But yeah, here Soledad Miranda is, she's kind of like a wilting flower. Like she faints at the howls of an insane person. Like, okay. <laughs> that's a it's a little much. <laughs> so then yeah. Miranda just seems too like cool for that, right? Like it just yeah, it just feels like you know, come on, like I maybe I buy that from Maria Rome, but you know, not from Soledad Miranda. Come on, give me give me a break. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, part of the reason is you know we we've watched she killed Nexusy and Vampiro's Lesbos before this, and it's like this ain't the same. Yeah, Franco saw something in her tried her out for the first time and it's like, okay, now I'm going to put her in some really cool shit. But <laughs> here it's just like, yeah, yeah, this does stick to the novel, very, like novel very well. Like up to this point, this is probably the closest adaptation. And, and, and as weird as it is to say that it probably is like just this really kind of low budget European version of the, but I mean, this, this just came out right at the tip of, shit ton of Dracula adaptations. Like, he also had, the, you know, the Hammer series that was ongoing at this point, which Lee would actually go back to. He was just, like, in the middle of it at this point. But there was... <laughs> I like to think they, like, sent him the script, and it's like, hey, Christopher Lee, we know you've been playing Dracula. We have a new part for you. We'd like you to play Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that's the interesting thing. He agreed to this because Franco promised him this would be closer to the actual text. Yeah, yeah. And the idea, and this is kind of like the first version of Dracula where Dracula appears as an old man and gets younger progressively through the film, uh, which he does in the story because he's feeding and he's becoming right. younger. So, and also... I'm just, I'm just trying to imagine, like, you know, in the middle of the Marvel movies, like somebody handing Chris Evans a script and going, like, we want you to play Schmapton Shamerica, you know. This, <laughs> you know, like, no, no, like, like you'd never see... I, I wonder what percentage of the people who saw this theatrically thought it was another Hammer movie. Um... You know what? You, you say it's it's very Hammer-like. I would probably disagree to a certain extent there. I think just the locations that you see in this, for the most part, they strike me much more as very Spanish. Um, okay. And it, a lot of this was shot in Spain. Like, it was shot in, I think, Italy and Germany. Like, I think it had all three locations that all three producers I, mean, I, guess the, I guess the question is, you know, to what degree is a like a casual viewer just seeing this in a drive-in, right. you know, pay attention to that, you know, level right. of... Yeah, you know. they're not fucking lame-ass, obsessive film nerds. I, I thought it was a camera production at first when I first saw it. Yeah, I, I, think, I think what takes me away from thinking it's a hammer production is that really dragging middle part where they're in the mental asylum, where just... Herbert Lom takes way too long as Van Helsing to accept that, yes, there's some vampires running around, you know? That's probably one of the crucial flaws of this, is that it's a little bit of padding time, whereas Van Helsing, for the most part, he's really on board. Like, I need to find myself a vampire, and oh, there's a hint of vampirism here? I'm going to jump on that shit. He's actually too skeptical in this film, uh, I think. But I think also, is like the music isn't as good as a good hammer horror, either, to a certain extent. I would sort of agree with that like this is a bruno nikolai soundtrack uh it's really good i've had it in my fucking head for a week now that that's just that little sort of stinger like that little riff or whatever that, are, that starts out with uh what's what's it called a, a zephyr or whatever the fuck that instrument the is zither. Zither, yeah fucking 
like that that's stuck in my head now like it's still in my fucking head and me just <laughs> what, what's, funny, what's funny is i kept i was enjoying the score i even what rewatched the opening credits twice just to enjoy the score again although it, i didn't like the rest of the score as much as i liked that kind of opening theme but uh, i keep uh, now that i'm uh talking about it i can't remember the score i just keep thinking it sounds I want to insert the score from one of the uh, Polizioteskis into this. Uh, <laughs> <you know? laughs> well, I mean, the the entire score, like, there's some minor pieces in it, and Paul's right, like, it, it, it does suffer from not being quite as interesting as, like, a Hammer score, because it, it actually just kind of always comes back to that initial thing where it, it feels like a cheap European score, you know? And I was also kind of thinking, like, this score would also fit in any Sherlock Holmes film at this point no yeah it, it, just just period wise it kind of fits in the same way but i like this overall but it is a little hampered by budget even though this is sort of mid-range budget for franco and he hides the budgetary stuff fairly well i mean you still have some really big problems here first off german shepherds in place of wolves these dogs are just sitting here waiting for treats they're not menacing anybody they're, they're just waiting to be fed by the by the people there's bat on a string although they try to hide it well because you never like see a bat fly anywhere you see it behind a window so it's like okay i can kind of accept that i I actually thought the bat on a string was charming in the sense of like you know like like kind of a a theater production like i you know i just totally (laughs) went into this this is like a bunch of pals of mine like hanging like showing up and doing a show and so uh, i'm just like oh look they have a little a little flappy bat like that's cute you know? That's what they actually do. Like that's what I remember. Like the post, the mood lighting goes going on, the bats and waving in the vein. I'm like, oh, this is mm-hmm. so fucking. This is like the dying days of Hammer. Like, yeah, <laughs> uh, Scar. Uh, I think Scars of Dracula Scars level. Of Dracula. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was thinking like uh, Pertwee era Doctor Who. You know, there's, there's... <laughs> pretty much. I think pretty much same budget level. Okay, there's one part in this that's really laughable is where they go to Carfax Abbey to uh, suss out. Uh, Dracula's coffins and like you know basically just kind of get him out in the open so they can confront him those taxidermy animals attacking them okay that's that's a little much (laughs) so were they supposed to be attacking because I saw it as more like I mean I just totally took it as as presented on screen as like these are supposed to be taxidermy animals but they're just supposed to be like creepy and you know okay well yeah I'll I'll say I'll say, okay, yeah, they're not attacking, but still their reaction to them, it's like, it's a little much. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah. Dracula's making them move, uh, or the stagehands, rather, are shaking them around (laughs) or pulling (laughs) strings or something. You know, I get Um, the idea they're they're supposed to be possessed by evil forces. Right. The whole castle is evil forces, but it's like, it's still still a slip. Yeah, and also one big glaring thing here, and and this is the last shit I'll talk about the film, is at near the end where they take out Dracula, and by the way, it's a little anticlimactic, although to be quite honest, the majority of Dracula adaptations, if you're going really strictly to the text, the actual book, Dracula is pretty anticlimactic. Like, it, it just kind of ends. But the, <laughs> And then we killed Dracula, and then, like, yeah. the music plays. So that, yeah, <laughs> But the styrofoam boulders that these two push off the uh, battlements of the castle to stop the gypsies, one of them hits a horse on the way down by mistake. And the horse is sort of like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, okay, that there's no way in reality these, these two guys could 
lift and push a boulder this size over unless it was made out of paper mache, which it right. probably was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think my favorite of the low budget. Oh, sorry, sorry, Paul. Go ahead. No, it definitely was no horse killer. You know. No, I think my favorite of the low budget effects was the uh, Dracula burning to death, which is clearly just you know Christopher Lee looking to camera, and then they've just like put some optical effect over the lens. Uh, this is your big. This is your big climactic moment of like Dracula dying. Set your coffee on fire. I yeah, it, it's it. it's the um, what's the name of the process? I can't remember, but it's the same thing Hammer did. It, they just did it way cheaper than Hammer does. Yeah, uh, that was basically it. Yeah, and it it doesn't look that good, but still, I mean, but, it, but it sells the effect, and and that's yeah. I mean, you know again, I just this kind of film, especially knowing it's made on a budget of like four dollars, it's kind of like hey, you tried, you did. He did the thing. I'm, you know, I don't know. I don't. I, I, will, I don't criticize I the film. Credit for this film one thing, and it's it's not the film's fault. But ever since I watched Evil Dead Two, I, every every time a tax dirty thing moves, I laugh my ass off. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not this film's fault. It's well, when the uh, when the swordfish started moving, I I just had memories of uh, the swordfish and house uh, yeah. <laughs> moving from the 1980s. But yeah, they they try. Like the the actors, I think are all pretty good. Jess Franco's even in this uh, again. You know, doing his Hitchcock thing, appearing in the film as the servant of Van Helsing, who's just he's giving everyone weird looks. Like, why the fuck are these people here? Why are we even talking to them? What what the fuck's going on? Klaus Kinski's performance is great. He doesn't say shit. It's like really reserved for him. Actually, Herbert Lom's good. He has a stroke in the film, uh, which is kind of interesting little character turn for Van Helsing there. Christopher Lee when he gets to be on camera, does his Dracula thing pretty well. And I'm sure he just got kind of a kick out of actually being able to recite actual lines of text from the book instead of, you know, whatever bullshit they wrote for them in the Dracula films for Hammer that he refused to even say. (laughs) I like his costume in the the beginning. I think that's one of the reasons why I think also, too, the film was so true to the story and uh, kind of accessible without a lot of lesbian scenes because the fact that's why they got Christopher Lee. That's how they got Christopher Lee. Because I think if you would have saw like, oh, we're going to do a good adaptation of this and we're going to have a sex lesbian orgy in the middle of it, Christopher would be like, I'm walking. Because that's the way he was. You know, he was a he was an upstanding guy and he does like his original literature. So I think that's kind of how it happened. I wonder if this was during uh, Christopher Lee's uh, Nothing But the Nightmare when he was making that film too, because he was rocking the mustache in that one. Wasn't that wasn't that later in the seventies, like seventy four ish or something? I think. I think you're probably right. It does now that I think about it, it does look a little bit dated onto the later side of the seventies in England. I'm just gonna look that up because I'm trying to think of Christopher Lee films where he's rocking the stash. Yeah, nothing but the night was seventy three. Daniel was saying something about his costume. Yeah, I just I uh, was just saying I liked his costume at the beginning. With the uh, you know the kind of the wide brimmed hat and the uh, the scarf over his face, like oh, yeah. I kind of felt like he lo- he looked a little bit like a twenties uh, like kind of Zorro like character, <laughs> and it made me want to see Christopher Lee play that guy. I could see him as like a swashbuckler, I guess. It's kind of the you know like like a sort of right. like a, like a sort of somewhere between um, you know like steampunk and noir. Like that's kind of what I wanted to see uh, that character sort yeah. of be that, that look. It was just a cool look. That's that's kind of all I had to say about that. Yeah. She also mentioned that if if you like fast zooms, you'll get your money's worth in this film because 
Franco <laughs> Franco does about a million of them. Uh, every time someone says a line of dialogue and they want to switch to someone else, fast zoom right onto that person. Like <laughs> you can get a you can get a couple of characters looking straight to camera, which is always an interesting effect in in film. You you almost never see that, even even when you think someone is looking right to camera, they're usually kind of off to the slide side slightly. But right. like I think I think Van Helsing looks like directly to camera. I know Christopher Lee does at least once, uh, although you know he's he's Dracula, and that's mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of the thing that Dracula does. But yeah, you get you get a little bit of that. Um, Maria Rome is pretty good in this. I thought, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, she again doesn't have a whole lot to do. I mean, you know, it's funny. Like Jess Franco just seems to not really know how to use women unless it's like, well, get naked and be covered in blood, and you know. <laughs> Play with some boobs, you know. That's yeah. You know. Well, how yeah, because supposed to use the damn things. I don't know. <laughs> they don't come with books. Yeah, I guess in a way he 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 really did uh, keep it close to the uh, original text, where you know it's like the the female characters are just eh. <laughs> kind of. I mean, it's interesting, you know, like to compare this to like uh, the the later Nosferatu, the uh, the Klaus Kinski, mm-hmm. as, as you know, uh, obviously Klaus Kinski's in both, but I mean the. To think about like nine years later, the uh, level of you know the female characterization in that is just vastly vastly superior. Um, although yeah. obviously that's not a, a strict adaptation of the text the way the the first one is. I haven't read. I mean, I read Stoker's Dracula like you know, when I was like fourteen or something. It's been you know over twenty years since I've read that book, so I have no idea how accurate this is. I have very little memory of the book, but yeah, no, it, it's it's fairly close. I mean. Comparing it to just about every other adaptation, it's it's one of the better ones. Yeah. And I, I just read Dracula or reread it two years ago, I think. I've read it a few times anyway, but yeah, it, it's actually fairly close to like I, I was thinking as I was watching this, if Franco had a really big budget for this, this could have been the Francis Ford Coppola's version of Dracula before that before he made his version in the in ninety two or whatever, right? Yeah. Like it, like he had that much potential, but I mean you can see the budget restraints. We have to keep to this two or three sets in the mental asylum for like half the film because we just we don't have the budget to shoot anywhere. Uh, they didn't have the budget for the um, the sequence from the novel of uh, Dracula being on the ship. They just had to mention it in, in passing. Oh, Dracula's taking a ship. Uh, or whatever. Back to Transylvania. I, I, I think they should have just cut to uh, footage from the original Nosferatu there. <laughs> and just, you know. It's not mentioned. Maybe just put like a blue filter of it or something, you know, just to, yeah. you know. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, my final thoughts on this. I like it. I, th- I think it's kind of flawed in just the fact that it didn't have the budget to do everything it should have done. And it's also just kind of weird for a Franco film because, you know, again, <laughs> no nudity and no real blood or anything like that, except for a couple moments. There's a couple effective scenes here where they're staking the, the vampire yeah. brides at the end is pretty good. Um, you get that one sport sequence uh, right there at the very end, the very last uh, vampiresses that they uh, stake. You know, you yeah. get the, like the and the, you get uh, yeah. yeah, and then also you when he's when Harker's in the castle and he's first like seduced by the uh, the weird sisters or whatever they're called in in the in the original book. Um, Brides of Draculas are basically known now. There's that sequence where Dracula interrupts them from basically draining them dry. And he throws. He basically is like, "I brought a baby for you to eat," and they, and they immediately rush over and immediately swarm the baby to drink from the baby, which is pretty good for this film. Like, you know, it's kind of a standout moment for this. So, kudos to Franco for that. You know, again, Franco's talents 
do shine through here, even though, you know, he's not doing his typical Franco stuff. Like he, he showed, he, he can do a straight laced adaptation of something, you know? So uh, good, good for him. What else can, what else do you to be said really? Mm. Uh, anyone else have any final thoughts or? When I first started watching this film, I actually was wondering, cause I started watching it and I was like, for a second there, I thought Klaus Kinski would have played the role of Halsey. Cause I would have really been, interesting to see how he would have played that instead of playing Renfield when I first saw the film, but then I was like, oh no, he's Renfield in this one, okay, that's cool, because I just first learned about Kinski then, about how what of a fuckwad he was and weirdo mm-hmm. <laughs> the Herzog stuff and everything that so I was like, well, let's see this, so I'm like, I'm thinking he's playing Helsing, I'm like, nope, Renfield meh, play the crazy guy well, I mean, it makes sense, but um, if you guys want to see a vampire film of Franco's where he goes full Franco watch Vampire Junction Vampire Junction, okay. You get to see an aged Lena Romay get her pussy shaved by people that walk on their hands. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we should definitely add that one to our list then. Yeah. <laughs> actually, actually, I wish to uh, I wish to uh, get this as a uh, a double feature with Vampiros Lesbos because Vampiros Lesbos is also sort of strangely accurate to the the at least the kind of overall structure of the of the original story. Um, even though it goes into a completely different direction towards the end, it, it is it is interesting uh, that he basically made the same film twice in the same year with completely different, you know, <laughs> intent yeah. and market, you know, <laughs> with the same actress, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. But just Franco just remakes Dracula with different titles every year <laughs> for eight years. <laughs> I think he kind of did it several times, honestly. I mean, the dude did close to 200 films, so uh, a lot of them are pretty similar. I'm sure he's recycled and reused a couple different times. Yeah, I was just going to say, honestly, uh, with with the producer here that he had who who did a few films for him, he recycled these sets and fucking costumes and stuff for several of these, so... I agree. The costumes do look. The film is good. I think it just it has a, a little bit of lacking with because of monetary constraints and stuff. It doesn't have like the score of a good Hammer film or anything like that. But at the same time, it, it flows good. It's very concise. It's a great retelling of the original story. I really do like the fact when they stopped at the like the whole scene where they they're stopping the the hearse before the castle. So before it gets into the castle with the gypsies and stuff, I like that scene quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, overall. I don't really see anything wrong with it. It just takes a little, like you said, it takes a little bit too long on certain spots, but it does have nuances that give you that good old hammer horror film, that atmosphere, the vibe. The sets look great. I think those sets Mm -hmm. look great, even though they they don't look like your classic vampire Dracula sets, but they still look good. And Christopher Lee rocking the stash. I mean, who doesn't love a mustache, right? (laughs) Uh, He does a good job. I think everybody, everything. The, The only thing is I'd like to just get the... I don't have a Blu-ray player, but now that's on Blu-ray with a really good version, I might get one just for that. Because yeah. uh, it'd be nice to actually see a proper version of that instead of the VHS that I still have. You know, which yeah. is still, even though it's a it's a official release, it's still a little bit dark and a little bit <clears throat> looks cheaper than it probably is. Yeah, this is one of four films from 1970 where Christopher Lee played Dracula. So there's one called One More Time from 1970, Taste the Blood of Dracula from 1970, and Scars of Dracula from 1970. And honestly, out of all these ones, uh, Taste the Blood of Dracula is still my favorite, and it's still my favorite Hammer Dracula film. Apparently on a documentary on the DVD, Jess Franco claims that Klaus Kinski ate real flies 
in his uh, role as Renfield, which it looks I, like he I, was yeah, doing yeah, it. I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. I would believe Klaus Kinski was eating flies on the set of Agiri. I just, I believe he was doing it on, I mean, he probably couldn't find flies on the set of The Great Silence, but I believe he would have. I mean, you know, I mean honest, honestly, I, I would just kind of believe Klaus Kinski eats flies. Like, that's, you know. <laughs> honestly, if, if Werner Herzog came out in an interview and said, while we were filming Agiri, Klaus Kinski tried to fuck several of those monkeys on the raft, I would believe it. <laughs> I mean, I would just believe it. Christopher Lee, who plays Dracula and Herbert Lom, who, who plays Van Helsing never saw each other during the filming. So they did all their shots uh, separately, which is kind of surprising, honestly, but Hey, still worked that, that one scene where they confront each other is pretty good. And and I mean, it it directly plays from the original uh, Lugosi Dracula, kind of a similar instance there where, you know, they have that little brief confrontation. Franco's first choice for the role of Van Helsing was actually Vincent Price, but he was not able to obtain Price due to his exclusive contract with AIP. And his second choice, Dennis Price, whoever the hell that was, uh, I don't who, I don't know Dennis Price, was forced to withdraw through illness. So Franco got Herbert Lom uh, for third uh, in his choices for this role. But honestly, I don't think Vincent Price would have worked for Van Helsing, to tell you the truth. I don't, I don't think his acting style would quite match up. I don't, I don't know. know. Just Vincent Price. I mean, he can he can play a lot, but he always has this like dark comedy vibe with what he does. And how yeah. He does and I mean, more theatrical. Uh, he 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 camp it up a bit, and that's and and I think that's one thing this film doesn't have. That I think it's it's probably good that it it keeps that to a minimum. That and all it's, the, yeah. it doesn't feel campy. And I mean, like it takes the material seriously, which is. You know, interesting like choice to go for for Franco and for you know this kind of period because the Hammer movies really, I mean, they do and they don't. I mean, you know, it's a much kind of different kind of vibe in a lot yeah. of ways. You know, but I mean, you know, uh, Peter Cushing, his his version of Van Helsing is proactive and assertive and let's kill the vampires stuff. I rewatched the uh, 1992 Dracula. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula this week too, just out of shits and giggles. So it's like, yeah, I wonder how that holds up compared to this. And Anthony Hopkins' version of Van Helsing kind of reminds me a lot of the Herbert Lom version. Just he's actually playing it up a bit more campy and big. But uh, I would argue that everyone in that film's acting big just so they're not sucked into the vortex of Keanu Reeves' terrible <laughs> sucky performance. Yeah, Herbert Lom's great in this. I, I honestly, I wouldn't replace him with Vincent Price. I, I don't see Price in this role. It just doesn't work for me. But, no, it's just me. Just quickly, DVD info. 2015 <coughs> DVD and Blu-ray from Severn Films is your best bet there. Although there was a Dark Sky DVD that was out for a long time. Although that admits uh, just a couple of key scenes. And that would be like the hour 36 until the, instead of the hour 37. And that one, I think, is totally full-frame uh, TV ratio, whereas the Blu-ray version is slightly wider screen. Not much, though. Like, just <laughs> a little... Yeah, I think the I think the version on Shutter, right? I watched, like, the first 30 seconds of it before I just, like, gave up. Like, let's see what the version of Red looks like. Uh, I think that one was a full-frame. I mean, I would almost believe that's a VHS rip. It looks so bad. <laughs> well, probably, yeah. I mean, Amazon's been known to do that shit, so... Um, yeah, there you go. Okay, I'm not sure what we're going to do next week. I was talking with Paul, thinking Laura Lee's grasp might be a good one to jump on. So uh, that might be it. So, Daniel, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on the internet. 
Um, just go and type in internet into your computer and you will find me there. Uh, no, you can find me on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. Uh, I do a podcast uh, about uh, movies about history and the history they're about. It's at uh, wrongwithauthority.blogspot.com. So. Yes, and that's an excellent podcast. Paul, where can people find you on the interwebs? Oh, uh, PA Brew News on YouTube and PA Brew News on Twitter. Awesome. Beautiful Gettysburg, Pennsylvania right now. There you go. And, uh, of course, you you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com where you can find our Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Facebook links. Join our Facebook group. They must be destroyed on site on Facebook. Not a lot goes on there, but you can definitely find out what's coming up on the podcast if you want to keep up to date with what we're doing and until next episode should be the Laura Lee's grasp. We bid you adieu. Thank you for joining me, gentlemen. And thank you everyone for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, get the spade, get the spade. Yeah. Uh, he, he's talking about the tool, not uh, the black guy. Yeah. <laughs> there, there are no black people in this movie. So it's no, so it's, they, they weren't, invent, they weren't invented yet. No, that's, that's a new thing. Yeah. All right, let's get out of here before it gets really racist. Bye-bye. You've been listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For other episodes, our Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Facebook group links, as well as podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through.